Chapter 33 The End of the World Heather rushed out into the open air atop Cloud Mountain. The village green was browning, and the gardens had been harvested many weeks before. She walked on, past stone tables, and through still neat hedgerows. She glanced at Helmer's scarred maple and marveled at the toddling buck playing beneath it. As she watched, the little rabbit's mother came along to scold him and snatch him up. Where had all the other younglings gone? She guessed they were somewhere inside the mountain, secreted away with warrior protectors while the rest made their grim preparations for war. A cart piled with small barrels was being pulled by twelve strong rabbits, and a squad of thirty tall archers marched in good order toward the caves ahead. She nodded to a soldier hurrying past and said hello to a contemplative votary who walked the edges of the village, whispering invocations. "'Where is the way to the Standing Stones, brother?' she asked. "'Ah, they are easy to find, miss.' though I'm very sorry to say that they are overrun by the machines of war. Which way? He pointed to the cave where the last archer disappeared. If you follow them, miss, you'll find your way. Thank you. He touched his ears, his eyes, and his mouth. May you hear peace, see peace, and speak peace. Heather nodded and jogged after the archers. While she lived at Cloud Mountain, she had never been past the village to the caves beyond or the hermit's field on the other side of the caves. There had been a small collection of votaries living there, but no one bothered them, and few had been interested in the standing stones they haunted. Since the victory at Jupiter's crossing and the revelation of the prince's cause in her story, however, devotion to the old ways had seen a resurgence. Ducking into the narrow cave mouth, she made her way quickly along the passage. Sparse torches lit the long and winding tunnel, and as it stretched on and on, she began to run. The path bent steadily down. This part of Cloud Mountain must be on the edge, far lower down than the misty top where she had spent so much time. There were several junctions in the tunnel, leading she knew not where, but she stayed in the main passage. The archers were nowhere to be seen. She began to worry she would never emerge, that she would spend the entire battle roaming the caves. But she soon saw a distant prick of light. She ran faster, and the light grew. At last she came to the end of the passage, and, squinting, she emerged from the cave onto a large plateau. It was perhaps half the size of the village green above, and it teemed with active rabbits, all busy with preparations. As the sun sank to the edge of the mountains, she saw the standing stones and striking silhouettes before a peach and purple sky. But how were there so many? There were supposed to be seven, but she counted no less than fifteen, and some were oddly shaped. As she moved closer, she realized that the edge of the plateau held more than the standing stones. It was lined with eight tall catapults. The fog was thinner this low on the mountain. It glided past in silvery wisps, first obscuring the view and then blowing away on the wind. Several of the towering weapons were complete, but brothers in blue alongside green-clad soldiers worked to complete the last of them. She gazed at one. Strong rabbits twisted long ropes tight inside the machine's complex innards. Heather was no engineer, but she imagined that the force they mustered was incredible. She couldn't believe that the machines, while sturdily built, could withstand the pressure but she saw iron reinforcements along the wooden contraptions. I hope they hold together. Everywhere barrels were stacked in heaps, and officers shouted instructions to careful handlers. The archers she had followed emerged from the caves at a different point a hundred yards away. They trotted over to join a band of their comrades. There they separated into groups, all hard at work staging what looked to her like a thousand arrows. Heather walked past the seven standing stones, awed by their careful crafting. These were taller than the ones at Halfwind, and, unlike those in the Leaper's Hall, had winding stone stairs cut all around each stone. Each one could be climbed by a votary at rites or a pious rabbit seeking quiet contemplation. 
but she had no time for anything like that. She looked ahead. Lord Rake was huddled with Pacer and several captains at a table between the archers and the catapults. He looked up and saw Heather, and his eyes narrowed. He motioned her over. He finished a brief conference, dismissed his attendants, and asked her to sit. What's happened, Heather? Smalls, she began, but she could only hang her head as no further words would come. He is lost? Dead, she said in a ghostly whisper. Uncle Wilfred has confirmed it. Wilfred saw the prince fall? Lord Rake asked. Yes. Then it's certain. His head fell into his hands. And we must assume there has been no conference at Kingston, he said, rising to pace. No new coalition formed. No reinforcements coming. What does it mean? she asked. He pointed to the edge of the plateau, where a short, sturdy wall with a flat top lined the mountain's rim. See for yourself. She turned, walking past the last in a long row of catapults to the precipice's edge. A willowy sheet of fog was carried off as she sprang to the top of the wall and gazed into the distance. She nearly fell, finding her balance only at the last moment. An army filled the valley and the hills beyond. The ground was covered in wolves, clad in black and divided into regiments, banners flying and fires burning. The trees were covered with birds of prey, armored and armed with slashing blades and a chilling assortment of other weapons. The army was divided by a wide gap, with only a hint of the second force in sight. Reinforcements? She couldn't tell. She only knew that this was a scene that spoke clearly of the end of all things. It was the brooding womb of doom. She stared for a long moment. It really is the end of the world, she whispered. Lord Rake didn't answer. We will all be lost, she said. We'll all follow Smalls into death. It doesn't matter what we do. We can't stand against that. We have to get Emma out of here, give her a chance to survive, and somehow, someday, rebuild what we lose in this battle. Heather turned at last. Emma was there, standing beside Lord Rake, tears in her eyes. She had heard. She knew. I'll never abandon this community, Emma said, no matter how many attack us. You're our leader now, my dear Emma, Lord Rake said, his face full of sorrow as he took her hands in his own. You are Prince Small's sister, and now Jupiter's heir. By rights, the green ember is yours now, though no one knows where it is. You will be our queen, Heather said, kneeling. We have to get you to safety. Heather's right. Lord Rake said. Emma shook her head, turned away, and took several long strides toward the caves. Heather thought she might run. Emma's body jerked with sobs. Then she settled onto her knees. Heather began to stand, but Lord Rake raised a hand. Emma needed time to think. Days. Weeks. But she had no time, and they all knew it. Heather's mind was running through the plans, working out ways to get Emma away in secret, as far from this certain doom as possible. After a moment, Emma turned to face them, then crossed to stand before them. Am I the heir? she asked. Lord Rake nodded. And I now stand in the place of my brother as leader of this alliance? Yes, Princess Emma, he said. You are in command. She took a deep breath, swallowed hard, and released the breath slowly. And I command the following, she said, her voice trembling. Everything must be as it was before. I have duties in the hospital where I may save some lives by my efforts. You are Jupiter's heir, my dear. Your father would want you, Lord Rake began. Smalls was not, Emma interrupted. That is, my brother was not here, and yet the battle plan was made. And you are the only father I have ever known, she said, looking into Lord Rake's eyes. I trust you to proceed with the battle. I will be in the hospital treating the wounded, healing the hurt, seeing to the dead. 
If we survive tomorrow, then we can talk about what it means for me to be a princess. For now, my order is that everything must proceed as planned. Your Highness, Lord Rake said, bowing on one knee, I will obey. And I, Heather said, remaining on her knees, will always be faithful. <laughs>